Well, good morning, Clear Creek. My name is Josh. I'm one of the ministers. But as you can see, I am still in my dining room. That's because last week, my wife and son had COVID, and we were having so much fun with it, I decided to get it as well. So I'm sick this week. Sorry, I can't be there with you, but I appreciate Sean Alex, who's outside at a safe distance right now, helping us get this recorded for you on Sunday. And I'm so excited about today's teaching because we're going to talk about how to get the most out of your Bible study as we wrap up this four-week series called The Bible for Everyone. So I want you to grab your Bibles because we're going to get into it here in just a moment. But while you're doing that, quick reminder that next Sunday, we're going to begin a teaching called Music and Worship. This is going to be a very important series in the life of our church because we're looking at what is God's heart for the heart of worship. Uh, we, is it a cappella? Is it instrumental on Sunday? What does the Bible teach about Sunday corporate worship, and not only that, but what then should we do or not do as a result of that? So I'm going to ask you to bring your Bibles next week like you should every week, and I'm going to ask you to do two things. Number one, come with your Bibles open, and number two, come with an open heart and an open mind as we listen to the words of God. Now, I can't think of a more important reason to study Scripture than to know God's heart and that's really where we're going today. You know, these four weeks, we've looked at what is the heart of God, really, in Scripture. And we began in week one looking at the reason we have Scripture is because Jesus rose from the grave, and that changed everything. And then week two, we looked at the story, the big arc of Scripture, that God is up to something, and He's inviting us into His redemptive, powerful, glorious plan right here, right now. And then last week, we said... There are some wrong ways or wrong attitudes when we enter into Scripture. And if we enter in with these wrong attitudes, we won't get out what God wants us to. In fact, we'll come out with some very bad things. And so today we're looking at, okay, not the wrong ways, but what's the right way to read Scripture? And so we're going to begin with this question. Why read the Bible? Have you ever asked yourself that question? I mean, why? You know, we talked about all the wrong attitudes last week, but why? Well, here's the answer. According to Scripture from a man named Paul in 2 Timothy chapter 3, he says this. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Now, circle these next two words. So that the man or servant of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Now, a lot of people, including myself, misread this verse or have misread it. In fact, I misread this verse for years until a dear friend, a Greek professor, helped me see what this verse is really about. See, a lot of us read this verse and think that the reason we read the Bible is for reproof, or it's for doctrine, or it's for training, or it's for correction. That's not the reason, ultimately, why we read the Bible. Those things are a means to the end. They're like the vehicle that gets you from where you are to what God wants you to get to, the destination. So here's the reason. You want to know the reason why we read the Bible? It's in those two words, so that. That so that clause, by the way, in the Greek, that's called the henna clause. So that, whatever follows is the purpose. In fact, he says earlier, he says, these, the scripture is profitable for these things, but the purpose, the so that is that you and I may be complete, be like Christ, be fully formed the way he intended us to live, think, act, breathe, and speak all the things so that we would be complete and, notice this, 
equipped for every good work. In other words, the reason you and I, the reason you and I study our Bibles is ultimately, write this down, the ultimate purpose of Bible study is to change our lives, to be transformed. That's what we talked about last week. So we enter scripture with an attitude of God, change me. God, I'm open to change. And, and maybe you're saying, Josh, it seems like a stretch from this one passage. Are you sure that's why we read the Bible? Well, let me tell you what Jesus says about this. Get ready. Here's a bunch. Jesus himself said about study in John 14, 23, he says, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. He says elsewhere in John 14, 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. In other words, it's to be a different kind of person. John 8, 31 and 32, he says, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciple. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. We love that second part. The truth will set you free, but it's in relation to holding or obeying the teaching of Christ. In fact, if you only know the word of God, but you are not being transformed and obeying the word of God, then you are not a disciple of God. That's how that works. Discipleship means you do what he says, not just know what he says. Elsewhere in Luke 6, 46, he goes on to say, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? And then finally, the reason our church and so many Christians are gathered today is really Matthew 28. This is what Jesus says, his final instructions, the reason we read, Go, he says, and make disciples, that means followers of all nations, teaching them to, you may want to circle this word, obey everything I have commanded you. In other words, the reason we read the Bible is to change our lives. So how do we do that? Let me give you a very simple way to read the Bible for life change. We use an acrostic here at Clear Creek. It's the SOAP acrostic, S-O-A. P. The S stands for scripture. The O is observation. The A is application. And the P is prayer. These are the four steps when you read the Bible. You begin with a passage of scripture. What section will I read? Then you go to the observation. After you've read it, what do you see? What's happening in the text? Then the A, it's what will I do with what I've learned? That's the doing part, the obedience part. And then you pray. You tell God. Now, I want us to focus for the next few minutes on the O. How do you learn to observe very, very well? And I want to give you three simple ways to get the most out of observing Scripture. And they all begin with the letter P. Hopefully that'll help you remember it a little bit better. But the first way, when you read the Bible, the, one of the best ways to observe it is to paraphrase it. To paraphrase it. Now, you know you've got something. And we see this in school. We see this in all sorts of uh, training programs that you'll learn material and then you'll be required to say it back in your own words because smart people know that when you are able to articulate it or put it in your own words, then you really know it. See, a lot of us think we know something until we have to say it. But when we put it in our own words, we realize, oh, I don't really get that. Or yes, I do. So let me give you an example of the paraphrase method. Let's just take another very famous passage of scripture. This is Mark chapter 12. Jesus is asked, what is the most important rule? What is the greatest command? And Jesus says this in verse 30 and 31. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. 
So if I were to read that passage, the paraphrase method would say, okay, put that in your own words. So if I'm thinking about it, I think, okay, he's saying God's big law, God's big command, God's number one do is to love him with all of my thoughts and my feelings, all the feels, right? All my thoughts, all my feelings, whatever I do and say, and love you and everyone else I meet as much as I love myself. And that's the way you paraphrase it. And see, by taking it from simply what it says to what I've said, it is reinforced on the layers of my heart. So that's the first one, is the paraphrase method. Now, before I show you the second one, let's just do a little, uh, little test here, shall we? A little exercise. I'm going to show you a picture now on the screen. And if you've been in my How to Study the Bible class, you've seen this before, but let's just do this for the rest of us. There's a series of boxes or squares, and here's a simple question. How many squares are there in this image? I'm going to give you just a few seconds to look at it, count it up, and then uh, let's talk about it. Finish up, time's up. Go ahead and turn to someone and tell them how many squares you think are in that image. Go ahead. What do you think? All right, here we go. Let me just show you how many squares are in the image. Well, one by ones, you've got 16, right? 16 squares. Well, you got two by twos as well. How many are there? Well, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. You've got Nine two by two squares, is that all? Well, no, you've got three by three squares as well. How many of those? Well, you've got four. Is that all? No, you've got one big one, one four by four. So you add that all up and you have a total of 30 squares in this one image. Now, why did I show you that? Is it just to mess with your mind? Well, yes, actually, no, no, not at all. What's the point? Here's the point. Studying the Bible is ultimately the art of seeing, learning to see the layers of what's there. And so this next method is all about seeing. You've got the paraphrase method. Now let me show you the second one. When you're observing, it is called the picture it method. Everyone say picture it. Very good, I hope. The picture it method is where you put yourself or picture yourself in the story. And so you look at it and imagine being well, this character and then that character or in this crowd. So let's take an example. Mark chapter 2 tells that beautiful story where Jesus is in a house telling the good news of God and is so packed full of people that no one else can get in. But there are four friends who have a paralyzed buddy who can't walk, can't get around. So these four friends, because they can't get them through the crowd to Jesus, they take their paralyzed friend up to the roof and they dig through the roof to Jesus. Now the picture method would begin to say, okay, can you imagine yourself in that moment? Maybe you're in the house and all of a sudden you hear the scratching and then dust starts to fall and then it opens up, light comes in and this man on a mat is being lowered. So imagine yourself in it. So if I were doing the picture method, I'd begin, I'd say, okay, what would it be like if I were the paralyzed man? 
When I look up at my friends' faces, what do I see? What, what expressions, what thoughts would I have of my friends that would love me enough to do this? And then when you look at Jesus, what does he look like? Is he angry or is he laughing? Is he smiling? Of course, he's excited because he knew you were coming. He's God. He kind of knew this was going to happen. And then what, what are your thoughts about the people around you? What are they thinking? What are your thoughts about their thoughts? And then how did it feel when he says, your sins are forgiven? And then he says, you can walk. What would it have been like that moment that you stood up for the first time and walked on those legs? What would you be thinking and feeling? And so then if I think about that, I then apply that to my own life. Because remember, this is all about not just information, but it's about application, right? So I would begin to apply it. Um, you know, where do I feel paralyzed in my own life? Where am I incapable of growth or movement? Maybe I feel paralyzed in a relationship with a child or a relationship with my spouse. Or maybe I just feel paralyzed in my own faith. I just feel stagnant. Or maybe I feel paralyzed uh, financially or because of the economy or maybe because of my job or my health or other relationships. Where do I feel paralyzed? And then I would think, well, are there places in my life that I just can't get to God on my own because I just feel so paralyzed? Well, then who are the friends I need who can bring me to Jesus, who can carry me to him? And by the way, you need friends like that. And we find those friends primarily in our missional communities here at Clear Creek. You need friends like that. And then the next question that I might think about or application is, well, am I that kind of a friend to someone else? So that would be the first part. And then I'd kind of flip it around think, okay, well, if I'm not the man, what if I were one of the friends? And you imagine loving a friend so much that you'd literally carry him, do whatever you had to to get him to Jesus. Can you imagine tearing open the ceiling with your bare hands perhaps and then lowering him down? And what thought must you have had when Jesus pronounced that he could walk over him? And so then the application would be, well, who do I know who's paralyzed but needs to get to Jesus? Who do I know who needs to be forgiven of their sins or needs help or encouragement and Jesus can do it? And then the next question is, what would I be willing to do to get them to Jesus? What roofs would I be willing to remove? What holes or barriers would I be willing to break through for the benefit of someone who needs to get to Jesus? And then I would turn the story around again and I'd think about, well, what would it be like to be the homeowner? I mean, can you imagine being the one who owns the home? You've welcomed people in. Jesus is teaching. Life's great. You're the toast of town because it's your home. And then there's a hole. And you're thinking, who's going to pay for this mess? And maybe if, if I were him, would I think, man, I'm angry at you. Or I'm upset about what's happening to my house. Or who's going to pay for it? And then what would I think when I see this man stand up and walk and to know that the miracle happened in my house because Jesus lived or was in my space. And then maybe an application question as I process this would be, how do I respond when people who are paralyzed come to faith? Do I feel inconvenienced by them? Or do I wanna make room for them? Or if there is a price, because there's always a price, friend, you know this, whenever there's a, someone who comes to faith or something happens, there's always a price. And the question is, well, am I willing to pay the price Remove whatever barriers so someone else can come to faith. See, this is the power of the picture it method. It causes me to envision the moment and enter into the story so that I begin to apply in my life more deeply what Christ might want me to see. That's the second method. So we have the paraphrase method. We have the picture it method. Now, I want to finish with this last one. But before I do, just a quick side note. 
When we read the Bible, it's very easy to come to wrong interpretive conclusions. Have you ever noticed some people, some groups, seem to come up with some really strange ideas? And you go, where do you get that from? Well, let me give you real quick four, this is a side note, but these are pro tips. If you are in the Word of God, if you've been a follower of Christ for a few years, you need to know these. Here are four pro tips for getting the most when you're interpreting Scripture. Number one, I'm going to say these very quickly. Number one, the Bible is its own best commentary. When you say, hey, what is the best commentary for reading the Bible? I tell people the Bible is the best commentary. Let the Scripture interpret the Scriptures, which leads to the second point which is always interpret unclear passages in the light of clear passages. So if you come to a passage that's really hard to understand or you're confused by it, find clear passages to help you understand the unclear passage. Again, because Scripture is its own best commentary. And then number three, the third interpretive pro tip is read the Old Testament with the New Testament in mind and read the New Testament with the Old Testament in mind. I love the fact that the Old Testament has hints of Jesus throughout it. It is like the fanfare presenting who's going to come, and then the New Testament points back to and fulfills the Old Testament. There are things you will never fully understand or appreciate in the Old Testament until you get to Jesus. And there are things about Jesus. We're told he's our high priest. Well, what does that mean? Well, when you go back and read the Old Testament about the sacrificial system and what the priests did, Wow, all of a sudden this makes sense. So you read the old in light of the new and the new in light of the old. And then number four, don't interpret Scripture. This is so important, friend. Don't interpret Scripture based on your personal experience. Instead, interpret personal experience based on Scripture. What I've experienced does not dictate the Scriptures. The Scriptures dictate how I understand what I've experienced. Now, Real quick, back to our third and final one. Are you ready? Here we go, home stretch. We've paraphrased it, we've pictured it. Now the third and final way to do this is, and there's other ways, but this is my third one that I'll give you today, is to pronounce it. Pronounce it. In fact, everyone say, pronounce it. Come on, let's do it a little bit better. I know we can do better. On the count of three, pronounce it. One, two, three. <laughs> okay, good job. Pronounce it is simply this. You read the story, you read the passage, over and over and over again, out loud. And each time you read it, you emphasize one different word. So let me show you how we could do this. One of my favorite passages is Colossians chapter 3, beginning in verse 16. We're just going to do the first half of this verse, but notice what it says. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. That's the passage. That's the verse that we'll look at. Okay, so if we were to do the pronounce it method, we would read it over and over, and emphasize a different one of those words each time. So we do it this way. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Let. Emphasis on let. Okay, so what does it mean to let? What does that mean? Well, it means to let something happen, doesn't it? It means to invite, to allow, to open yourself up to it. And then it's not automatic, but rather it's, well, it's a choice, isn't it? So the first thing application-wise for me would be to say, well, am I intentionally choosing to read the Bible? Am I intentionally inviting God's word into my heart? So that'd be led. And then the second main word is word. So let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. In other words, well, it's important to let the Holy Spirit dwell in me, but he is saying, 
I need to let the word, the scripture dwell in me as well, that the spirit of God is a gift of God, but so is the word of God. And then the third one we'd look at and see, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Christ, Christ. So it's not just any word. It's not just any idea. It's not let Netflix dwell in me. It's not let the talk radio dwell in me. It's let the word of Christ dwell in me richly and you richly. And so then the application is, well, whose voice do I listen to the most? Do I tend to listen more to what my friends say, what the news is saying? Where do I allow the voices of the world to influence and shape my opinion? And by the way, just as an aside, and I need to say this, we all know this to be true, that we are the sum of our five closest friends. In other words, the people we listen to the most or the sources we listen to the most influence us more than anything else. If Jesus is not the loudest voice in your life, then you and I will be influenced by someone or something else. We're always being influenced. So then we'd go on and say, let the word of Christ, notice that next word, dwell in you richly. Well, what does it mean to dwell? It means to move in, to make permanent residence. So what does it mean if Christ's word were to live in me permanently, to have its own space in my heart, in my home? Wow, what a thought. It doesn't just come in one ear and out the other. And that's actually the next word. Let the word of Christ dwell in you. What does it mean to be in you? See, a lot of us have the Bibles around us. Man, we even have them in our pocket with our phone, don't we? That's around us. But he's saying, let the word dwell in you, meaning I ingest it, I meditate on it, I think on it, I allow God's word inside, and it becomes a permanent part of me. Let the word of Christ dwell in you, you. It, see, it's not just that the Bible is for your preacher or your elders or the missionaries or the scholars. The word of Christ, friend, if you are a follower of Jesus, then the word of Christ is for you. The word is for you. It is impossible to follow Jesus as your leader if you don't know the words of Jesus. It's for you. And so then the question is, have I made this my own? Or do I, when I listen, sometimes I do this, I'll listen to someone preach and I'll be thinking, <clears throat> I sure hope so-and-so's listening. I wish my wife were here. I wish my friend, right? But in you. And then finally, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Well, what does richly mean? Well, it means extravagantly, luxuriously, fully, abundance. And what's the opposite of that? Poorly, not on much, just, just little bits and pieces. In other words, let it just overflow, be so abundant that it just pours out of me. So this is the third and final way we'll look at this morning for how to Make the most of your observation, how you get the most out of it, because when you get a lot out of it, you can begin to, well, you go to the next part, don't you? You've read the scripture. You've, you've observed it. And now it's time to apply it. See, all this is very interesting. Perhaps you're sitting there going, oh, yes, give me some more. But really the point is, what are we going to do with it? How are we going to apply it? Let's just take... Colossians 3.16a, that first half that we looked at. Let's just apply that for a moment. What part do you need in your life? See, we looked at that one little section and we have seven different applications. So what application is right for you today? Do you need to invite God's word into your life by actually reading it, letting it? Do you need to allow it 
to be the words of Christ that have sway over your mind because other things have? Do you need to reprioritize your time? Do you need to dwell in him and he in you? Do you need to let this not be on a shelf, but in your heart? Do you need to personalize it? Not for someone else, but for you, friend. See, the scripture is not simply there to give us more information. It's not simply there to show us a right path. It is there to change our lives so that when we're done reading every day, we become just a little bit more like Jesus, just a little bit more, that we, we turn more and more and more in his direction. So what do you need to do today to apply what we've read? James, the half-brother of Jesus, says that faith without works is dead and that if you simply listen, but you don't do what he has said, then, then things aren't clicking. You're, you're not really operating as the follower Christ has called you to be. So where do you need to apply? We're going to finish this little soap study together this morning in prayer. And as I pray over us, I'm going to invite you, if the Lord is convicting you of an area that you need to begin changing based on the scriptures or perhaps something else that has been uh, sort of on your mind, perhaps through the Gospel of John that we've been reading these past three weeks, I invite you to speak to him. And if you are not yet a follower of Jesus and are ready to take that next step, I invite you to go out to the lobby as soon as we're done. Some of our leaders will be there. They'd love to meet with you and talk with you about taking your next step. So let's pray and ask God to help us not simply be hearers but doers. Father God, I thank you for this beautiful gift of your word. I pray that as we've talked this morning, there's a lot that we've said. I pray that the ultimate truth will not be missed with all of it which is that you've given us this beautiful gift. It's for all of us so that we would be changed and complete like Jesus Christ in everything and therefore equipped to every good work. I pray for my friends this morning who are convicted of an area they need to grow. May your spirit bless them in showing them how to grow in the right way. Father, I pray for those who have yet to say yes to Jesus, I pray that you would show them that you love them, you know them, and you have a plan for them. May they find their way to the lobby. May they find one of our leaders and may they find their next step in following you. And Lord, I pray for me that I would be a man who listens to you, loves you, and demonstrates that by transformative living. We love you so much. Thank you, Jesus. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.